<laughs> All right. Um, welcome to uh, discipleship class number 27. Can you believe it's um, 27 classes in now? And, uh, and we're still going strong, praise God. So um, after tonight, uh, there'll be nine more. So we're down to the final 10. And I kind of start feeling, pressure may not be the right word, but I start feeling a little bit of a, of a crunch because I look at all the things that I would like to cover and how little time we have to cover them and start trying to figure out what exactly we need to focus on. So the section that we should start tonight is um, a section that literally could be... Um, almost a 36-week thing into itself, but we're not going to do that, obviously. Um, and so the Lord will show us, but that's usually where um, we can either make up some time or really uh, burn more time than we need to um, when we start talking about the characteristics we possess because we're creating the image and likeness of God. But anyway, um, we'll get to those things and others, and I'm glad that you are joining us this evening. Um, before we went live um, there were some comments about, you know, folks that, that come and then drop out of the class and that sort of thing. And so, you know, the amazing thing about our Father is He is so patient with us. And um, there are things that um, we can do uh, as far as, like we talked last week about the variables. We hold all the variables. And there are things that we can do that will accelerate what it is that Father's wanting to bring forth in our lives. And then there are things that we can do that'll... That'll slow it down and, and uh, drag it along and that sort of thing. So um, if you've got friends that you want to be in class with you or family members that you want to be in class with you, but for whatever reason they're not, just pray for them. Don't, don't judge them. Don't be hard on them. Just pray for them. Pray that their eyes will be opened um, and, and the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God will be upon them and that they'll have a hunger uh, for the things of God. That, that's really such a key part in, in our walk with the Lord is that, is that we would have a desire or a hunger uh, for it. Um, Jesus said, if your eye be single, your whole body will be full of light. And a lot of times, you know, instead of a singular focus, um, we, we have a fragmented focus. It's one of the devil's strategies against us. He wants us to be, you know, focused on a lot of things at the same time. And, and it really weakens, if, if not hinders, our, our progress. Um, so there's something very powerful about putting all your eggs in the Lord's basket. Seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. Uh, one of my favorite Bible teachers, Brother Keith Moore, makes it so simple. He says, you know, there can only be one first place. There's only one first place in your life. And, um, and when we give that to the Lord uh, as an offering, as out of respect to Him, it's amazing what He's able to do in our lives and, and the things He's able to open up to us um, so quickly. And um, today, just kind of a side note, um, really start, it started yesterday and it carried over into um, this morning. And I only use the word count just because... Um, you know, you got to measure progress and to know that you're making any. And so that's one of the things the Lord really challenged. Even like when He said to to, to teach us to number our days. Um, you know, sometimes we we talk about man, His days are numbered. You know, we we say that as a, as a negative thing, but the reality of it is all of our days are numbered. Um, you know, my prayer is that you live to be 120 years old. Okay, but the bottom line of it is all all of our days are numbered on this earth. And um, so a, a wise man or woman recognizes, you know, that there are um, a, a, only a limited number of, of hours in a day and a limited number of days in a week and a limited number of, of years in a lifetime, and to be able to really number those and, and make them uh, count. And so in the same way, Lord, teach me to number uh, my, my words. And when I say words, I'm talking about the actual words that I spend uh, before Him, hearing from Him. And the last couple of days... 
ha has been some really revolutionary revelation uh, in, in my heart and some things the Lord's been showing me for some time but has really, uh, and, and, it's, and it's amazing because, um, you know, you, you study and you, and you read the Word and you hide the Word in your heart and you meditate the Word and you speak the Word and, and it's back to one of those earlier classes that some of you may not have been here for, but the Bible says, among other things, that God's Word is like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. We know the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, you know, but when we talk about the Word of God being a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces, you know, sometimes you just take the Word of God and you just chip away, chip away, chip away, chip away, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's like just, it just opens up, and it's all like, man, you know, wow, this revelation. And so, um, anyway, the Lord is good, and, and I just celebrate um, uh, His goodness uh, in my life and in my family's life and in your lives, and um, I'm convinced that we're all doing better than we know. Um, and um, amen. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to confuse you on this, but um, you're not who you think you are, and at the same time, you are who you think you are. And, and what I mean by that is um, you are much more than you know at this moment, but your life reality is going to reflect what you know and how you think about yourself at this moment. So again, you're not who you think you are, and yet you are exactly who you think you are. And so the Lord's renewing our minds as to who we really are. Right, um, you are infinitely more than um, uh, you know. The Bible says we regard. Remember our Second Corinthians five verses. We regard no man according to the flesh. And so, our our, our outward appearance and our outward behavior and, and all these other things they do not tell the the whole story of who we are inwardly. Um, but yet, our life reality is not a reflection of who we truly are. It's a reflection of the image we have of ourselves. And so um, you're not who you think you are, but at the same time, you're exactly who you think you are. So um, just think about it. Just if, you, if you're not getting it, just write it down and think about it. Amen. All right. So let's, uh, let's pray. Amen. Father, thank you for another beautiful day. Lord, the day that you've made, everything you make has a purpose, Father. And, and Lord, sometimes that purpose is just beauty. Father, you make things just because, um, just because they're beautiful, just because they're creative, just because they're interesting. So everything you create, Father, everything you make has a purpose. And, and Lord, uh, this day that you've made, there's a purpose for it. And there's a purpose for our time together this evening. And I thank you, Father, for helping us bring our hearts together, bring our hearts to attention. Um, Father, it's so much more enjoyable uh, to learn and grow together. Certainly, we, re we relate to you and we fellowship with you individually, one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but Lord, when we come together collectively as your body, as your children, Father, it just... It's just such a special time. Um, it, it is um, uh, exponentially uh, more beneficial as far as our growth and development is concerned. And so, Father, we thank you for the corporate anointing tonight. We thank you, Father, for um, anointing uh, me to speak your word with clarity and precision. And, Father, for those that are hearing, to hear it, uh, Lord, with the anointing. And, Lord, that our faith uh, would be awakened and strengthened, that our eyes would be opened and, Father, that our uh, lives will be transformed through the renewing of our minds. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. All right, so um, let's do this. Just a quick review. We're answering this question, what is man? And we're on answer number three, and we're going to finish that one hopefully within the first part of the class tonight. But the first thing we've said is that man is a God-class being. And so um, we spend a lot of time on that. I'm tempted every time to just briefly review, but if we briefly review everything, then we've used a whole bunch of our time. So the next thing we looked at is that man is a spirit being. And um, some of the uh, things that the Lord's really been 
emphasizing to me of late, just in my own personal study and writing, it, it, it springboards off of that, um, that we are spirit beings. Remember, you are a spirit. You don't have a spirit, you are a spirit. You have a soul and you live in a body. So again, you are a spirit. You have a soul and you live in a physical body. And then the third one is the one we've been on now for a little longer than I anticipated, but I think we've had some good comments, some good discussion, and I've received some good feedback both from those in the room and others um, who watch online uh, that this has really benefited them. Just a shout out to our friends in Kenya, um, our pastor there. When I say our pastor, he pastors Heritage Christian Center in Kenya, Pastor uh, Cornelius and his beautiful family. Um, the Lord really spoke uh, to them through last week's class, so much so that he gathered um, some pastors together, I think it was last Sunday afternoon in his area, and they all watched that class again together. And so uh, shout out to my spiritual son there, and I'm um, excited about what the Lord's doing among our brothers and sisters uh, half a world away. Praise God. Now, what we have focused on, and I really want to get to some practical things, is we've looked at the fact that the truth, not just a fact, it's the truth that, that, that Father God has delegated authority for this planet to us and that He is all-powerful and created us to be autonomous, self-govern. Um, so that's what it means to be sovereign. And it's important for us to surrender our sovereignty to, to His omnipotence. In other words, if, if you want to do your own thing and live your life your own way, you can do that. I don't recommend it. And I think all of us have, at least to some extent, enough to know that um, we're not qualified. The Bible says the way of a man is not found within him. And cursed is the man who puts his trust in, in man. And that's even if you, know, if you trust yourself, you're a man. <laughs> so, so even if you say, well, I don't trust anybody, I just trust myself. Well, the Bible says you're cursed, okay? So we don't want to be that way, right? We want to learn how to trust God. Blessed is the man who puts his trust in the Lord, okay? And, um, and so that's all in Jeremiah 17. You might want to jot that down, look at it later. I'm not going to try to teach on that right now. So we've, we've, we understand that the earth is the Lord's and it belongs to Him, but He leased it to us. And there's coming a day when that lease is going to expire. Um, but until then, in order for Father God to operate in the earth, um, He needs a gate. He needs a gateway. And that's why the Psalms says to you and me, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Um, lift up your heads, you everlasting doors of destiny, the Passion Translation says. So we look then with that understanding at so many different things, some in the Old, some in the New Testament, characters, people in, in the New Testament, and we see in, in the Old Testament where when, when Father God wanted to do something in the earth, he, he looked for a human being that he could cooperate, operate together with in order for his will uh, to be carried out in the earth. So remember, as a leaseholder, as someone, um, this church, we, we matter of fact, um, one of the units across the street, they call Pastor Mark, we hate to bother you, but air conditioning's out over here, right? Well, before we could even go over there to, and Pastor Marcos did it after hours, before we could even go over there, to fix something for them, we had to get permission to, to enter in to a building we own, but had, had been leased to an, 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 another party. Okay, So think of the earth as being leased to you. You're the leaseholder of the earth, and, and certainly the leaseholder of your own life. And Father God needs permission from you to intervene and to get involved in the affairs of your life. He won't just kick in the front door and do what He pleases, nor will He make you do what He pleases. If God was going to make somebody do something, Okay, he would make everybody get saved uh, and not wind up going to hell when they die. 
So if he's not going to do that, then he's, he's, he's going to respect your free will um, uh, regardless, okay? But oh my, my, when we turn our hearts to him, right? And when, and when we invite him in, when we give him place uh, to operate and work in our lives, he can get a whole lot done in a hurry. Amen. So we've carried this one step further because what I call like the street level of your life is how does the um, authority, you as the legal authority, on the, on the earth, delegated authority by Father God, how does that affect His will coming to pass in your life? And we covered last week that not everything that happens on this earth is God's will. A lot of people believe that. A lot of born-again people believe that. A lot of churches preach that. It, it's not supported by Scripture. And as I've told you time and time again, I'm not here to give you my opinion. It's what does the Word say? That's the, that's the question that, that we need um, to, to answer. What does the Word say? Uh, about these things, all right? And, um, and so let's go now uh, to Romans chapter 12. And for those of you who were a part of last week's class and even um, the one before that, 26 and, and then 25, you know that we dug very deeply into that and we looked at some very specific examples in Scripture. Um, I think one of the most amazing ones is when Jesus cried over Jerusalem because he wanted to reveal some things to them that would have affected and impacted their future and, 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 and nation and families 40 years uh, you know, down the road. Um, but that um, window of opportunity, that hour of visitation, as he referred to it, that unique, strategic, um, and highly significant time frame had closed uh, for them. I don't know if I said this when we talked about that, but I, I do want to say that when we see these windows closing quickly in the earthly ministry of Jesus, um, we certainly need to pay attention to that. But remember, when Jesus was on this earth, He was on the clock, so to speak. In other words, He had a, a three-year window of time. Obviously, He lived till He was 30, began His earthly ministry when He was 30 because that was the law in those days. He couldn't have a public ministry until He reached the age of 30. And then once he reached that age of 30, he then had a three-year window because at 33, he's going to be crucified. So there are a lot of situations where we see Jesus, like in John 2, it says that he didn't commit himself to a group of people because he knew what was in their hearts. And he knew that they were not willing to do what was necessary to be a disciple. But it's kind of reversed now because... Now Jesus is slipped back over into eternity, right? He's on the other side now. And guess who's on the clock now? We're on the clock now, all right? And so we have a limited number of days on, on this earth um, to learn, understand, discern our Father's will, submit ourselves to it, um, and experience uh, the results that it produces in our lives. All right. So Romans chapter 12 and verse um, uh, number 2. Now, I sometimes just leave verse 1 out. Verse 1 and 2, you almost can't separate them um, because he's, he's talking about um, you know, presenting our bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And then he goes into verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So again, continuing to answer this question, how does our authority... Um, affect the will of God coming to pass in our lives. So um, here we see this passage where we're instructed to not be conformed. Um, think about it this way. Pressure forms things. Um, don't raise your hand because I think we are all guilty of it to some extent. 
But I think most people, I'll just say most, uh, in, in case there are exceptions, okay? But I think most people have done things over the course of their lifetime that they really didn't want to do, but they did it because they felt pressured by other people to do it. That's what we call that peer pressure, okay? And so when he, when he talks about being formed, he's using the word formed, okay? But the first time he says, don't be conformed. So that's when you're conformed. Think about conformity, trying to be like everybody else, trying to be like the world. See, the, 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 the body of Christ today has a real uh, issue because we're, we're trying to figure out how to be like the world and change the world at the same time. And, and it'll, it'll never work, okay? So conformity is when outside pressure forms you and, and, and pressures you into thinking certain ways, doing certain things, feeling certain ways, what have you. So he says, don't be conformed, but instead be what? Transformed, okay? Transform, transformation here is talking about just this radical change that's taking place in our lives. And notice the key to that transformation is the renewing. I like to say the reconditioning of our minds. So I made that statement as, as we began. You're not who you think you are, but on the other hand, you're exactly who you think you are. Um, the, the renewing of the mind for the born-again believer is this process of discovery where we find out who we became the day we became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Remember, you became something through the new birth that you were not before. Most people still think like, still think like the old person they were instead of the new person they became, so they still therefore live like the old person they were instead of the new person they became. So he's talking about the renewing of the mind. Now, I like to take that word renew because it could have just as easily been translated, if you go back to the original uh, wording, it could have been translated the reconditioning of the mind. Because in reality, life on planet Earth has conditioned our minds. We've been conditioned to think certain ways and look at things in certain ways that more than likely are not the way God thinks about them, not the way you know, that, that God sees them. Um, and yet just experiences, life experiences have conditioned us um, uh, towards selfishness, towards um, a me-first approach to life, and, and, and these kinds of things. And so he's saying that our minds have been conditioned by the world that we live in, and they need to be reconditioned, okay, the reconditioning of the mind. And, of course, we know ultimately this is carried out. This is, I think if there's one verse that captures the essence of discipleship, and there's a lot of them, but this one right here certainly does it. Uh, I believe discipleship, if it's anything, it's the renewing or the reconditioning of the mind, where we begin to see ourselves um, not, as, as the Scriptures say, as mere men. But Paul said to the Corinthians, he says, you're behaving like mere men. And, you know, you hear people say all the time, well, I'll put my pants on one leg just like everybody. Listen, if you've been born again, you're not like everybody else, okay? You, something's happened on the inside of you that hasn't happened on, on the inside of somebody that's been born again. And so the more we see ourselves, for instance, as the righteousness that we've been made, as the freedom that we've been given, as the child of God that we are, as, as the royal priests and priestesses, the princes and princesses, amen, that we are, um, the more our minds are reconditioned to see ourselves in light of who God says we are as opposed to um, the image that we have of ourselves. I think Pastor West shared um, that uh, self-image document that the Lord gave me some time ago uh, with you guys from the foundry uh, yesterday morning. And that comes from a bigger teaching where um, we see Gideon in the Old Testament, uh, he had a self-image based upon what had been done to him and what he had been through. And he saw himself based upon you know, how that had impacted and conditioned and, 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 and affected him, right? 
Um, and so when they cried out to God about that, God answered with what He had done for them, what He had given to them, who He was to them. And so we can either have a self-image based upon what we've been through, what's been done to us, what we've done to ourselves, okay? Or we can have a self-image based upon what God's done for us, what He went through for us, and what He's freely given to us, amen? And so again, all of this is a factor into the renewing of the mind. And we've got classes to come on uh, what the Bible has a lot to say about this subject, especially in the New Testament, all right? But what we're really looking for here is this last one, because it talks about the will of God, that you may prove, that you may prove, all right? So don't get caught up in the, you know, some people get really complicated and complex with this idea of, of that you may prove statement. The idea of, of something being proven is it's being proven to you. And, and so the idea behind that is, you know, the will of God is for uh, you to prosper financially. The will of God is um, for you to be effective in, in your relationships. The will of God is for, um, you know, the, the potential that you have within you uh, to make a difference in this world, for, for all of that to be, uh, you know, revealed and released in and through your life. So let's go back to God's desire to prosper you, okay? Um, so in His Word, Father has given us some very specific instructions about things that we can do to experience in our lives financial prosperity, okay? Now, it's going to be real shaky for someone who has never really like paid tithes or has never really uh, given offerings. Or, and, and then the other one is alms. Alms is when you do something to help someone in need, okay, um, without anybody else knowing it. That's why the Bible says don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing because because, you know, if somebody's in need, you don't want to embarrass them. You know, hey, I paid Johnny's light bill for him. You know, no, see, again, that would be an, an almsgiving, uh, almsgiving, and that's something that's, that's supposed to be done privately, okay? All the time here at the church, we have, we have people say, look, Pastor Mark, we, we want to help this family um, with this situation, but we don't want them to know where this money came from. And that's almsgiving, okay? So tithes, offerings, almsgiving. Jesus taught us about all of those. He said, give and it will be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Pay your tithes. I'll rebuke the devourer. I'll open the windows of heaven. You won't have room enough to contain the blessings. All these are God's principles, um, truths uh, concerning our financial prosperity. But let me tell you when it gets really good to you is when you practice that consistently enough to see the results of it in your life, this is when it becomes proven to you. This, this is when it's not a theory Okay, this is when it's not like, okay, I got all that, but, you know, uh, one day when I get some money, I will. No, see, again, it's not how this works. So when you realize that, you know, by, by giving and sowing and planting and, and, and these sorts of things, and you begin to experience in your life reality um, the provision and prosperity of God um, for your life in, in these situations, this is when the will of God concerning these things becomes proven to you. Are you following me? I don't want to try to overcomplicate this, but he, he's wanting these things to become, uh, you know, tangible, measurable, verifiable um, in your life, okay? So that you may prove, and I just gave you one little aspect to try to help you understand what he means by proving it. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Now, um, thankfully... Uh, I was raised in, in the church, and I've heard a lot of good teaching from Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I've also heard some not-so-good teaching from Romans 12, 1 and 2. There is a tendency um, for, you know, the, the, um, the traditional three-point sermon. Anybody ever, anybody remember the three-point sermon where, you know, three points in a poem, uh, and, and you've got to tell a story and a joke and then an altar call? 
And, and so this, this particular passage, um, good, acceptable, perfect will of God, it lends itself to this three-point approach to preaching and teaching. And so a lot of times you hear the will of God um, presented as, as measured or degreed. In other words, people say, well, you know, you can be in the acceptable will of God, you can be in a little better part of the will of God than that, you can be in the good, or you can be in the perfect. That is not what he's talking about. He's not talking about three levels or three degrees. Or listen to me now, I know this blows a lot of folks' sermons and stuff out of the water, but I'm going to try to help you here. He's not talking about three different levels, degrees, or characteristics. Don't misunderstand me, okay? Um, You can be participating in God's will for your life in one area of your life and completely ignorant of and completely leaving him out, shutting him out of another area of your life, all right? But this particular verse is not teaching that. What we have in the language is three words that are modifiers or adjectives um, for the will of God, okay? And those three adjectives are translated good, acceptable, and perfect. See, when I didn't understand this, it always irritated me that he didn't put acceptable first, because these should go in order, right? I mean, you got the acceptable, then you got the really, you know, you got a little better than that good, and then you got the perfect. But that's not what he's talking about here. So each of these words are all adjectives, right? You understand what an adjective, an adjective is, gives description of. They're all three words that give um, a description of um, the singular will of God for your life, all right? And those words, for instance, the word good, it's, it's, it's a really big word, but it, it simply means, to put it into one compound word, it means well-pleasing. This particular uh, Greek word translated to our English word good, it means well-pleasing. So the first thing that we, we need to know about the will of God, that He wants to be proven to you. It, listen, his, God's not wondering if His will for you is good, if it's going to be well-pleasing to you. He knows that His will is going to be well-pleasing to you. Should you seek it out, submit yourself to it, surrender yours to His, okay? Um, you're, it's going to be well-pleasing to you. All right? You're going to like it. Let me say it that way. You're going to be satisfied with it. Somebody now, listen to me. See, the devil's tried your whole life to make you think the will of God is going to be miserable. It's, it's going to be boring. It's going to be dull. I mean, it's, it's going to be as dry as the devil's chicken. I mean, you know, so he, 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 he tries to make it look like that, okay? Um, amen. I feel, I feel compelled for, 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 for Donald and, and, and Buffy and David and Angie, okay? So last night, uh, David, um, I'm sorry, Monday night, um, Oliver was eating Chick-fil-A with his mom and dad and, um, at their table at home. And, um, and he said, Mom, you know how country little fella talks. He says, Mom, he said, I really like my chicken tonight. And she goes, well, great, Oliver. What do you like the most about it? He said, the moisture. It's <laughs> three years old, right? The moisture. She's like, but then she figured out because it was juicy, right? She goes, oh, do you like it because it's juicy? And he said, he said uh-huh. And, yeah. and, she, and she said, we... She goes, we don't, we don't like that dry chicken, do we? She says, the devil has all the dry chicken, right? So, so uh, give the devil all the dry chicken, right? So, so give the devil all the dry chickens. But anyway, so um, when he's given us three adjectives about the will of God, okay? The first one, when he says good, the good will of God, he's talking about the, the, that the will of God is going to be well-pleasing to you, all right? So the devil tries to make you think that the will of God is, is something that's, that's not going to be enjoyable, but 
you know, we gotta we gotta give up any chance of 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 being happy and having joy in life to do the will of God. Completely opposite. The will of God is well pleasing. When it when it says the will of God is acceptable, again, it's a poor translation from the Greek to the English. This word means it's beneficial. It's beneficial. There's benefit to it. There's profit um, to it. And you do. You got any business people in the room, right? Profit. Right <laughs> means you're going to get a, a reward. You're going to you're going to get back more than you put in. Okay, so it's it's well pleasing. It's beneficial. And then this word perfect, we hear perfect in our in our language, and we think um, without flaw or without error. And certainly that could be used to understand the will of God. But here this word is teleos in the Greek, and it means things like well rounded, full circle, complete. Okay. And so as it pertains to the will of God, it would be best to understand perfect as the all-encompassing, the all-encompassing will of God. What does all-encompassing mean? It means that He has a, a plan and a purpose and a desire for every aspect, for every part. Um, what other words we got? Facet, section of your life. He, in other words, His will for you is all-encompassing. He hasn't left anything out. Okay, when it comes to your relationships, when it comes to your health, when it comes to your finances, when it comes to your emotional well-being, when it comes to um, your purpose, all of these things, it's all encompassing. Spirit, soul, and body. Um, I like to say it this way. Um, everything that has anything to do with you um, is God has uh, you know, what He desires, what He wants to happen in your life and family where that is concerned. So, again, the will of God is well-pleasing. I'll put it up. Uh, all together, um, the well-pleasing, beneficial, all-encompassing will of God for your life. Amen? All right. Amen. Is this making sense to you? All right. Now, um, early on, and I thought we would have gotten there last, uh, last week, and we did not, which is fine, okay? But um, I had a question or two about, you know, okay, so finding the will of God, knowing the will of God for our lives, how, how do we go about that? And I told you then that I was going to give you something the Lord taught me when I was younger that has really served me well um, all the way. Now, let's see, I was 15 years old when the Lord taught me this, and so that was been 40 years ago now. I'm 55 now. And, um, and I can tell you that this is something that has been proven time and time again in my life. So without going into a whole lot of details about my story, I, I was born again when I was very young, and I actually sensed the call of God on my life to ministry before I was born again. Um, so much so that it was a factor in me walking the aisle and receiving Jesus um, because I knew that would carry me one step closer to this preaching gig. And the reason I'm very comfortable in telling you that I, that I think that was genuine and not just uh, you know, a kid's wishful thinking is because I did not want to do it. Even at that age, I had my heart set on being a medical doctor and had no desire whatsoever to be in the ministry. Um, and so I, I think in some ways the Lord worked that to my good because I knew he was leading me to do it. And it wasn't like I just got caught up in the moment and, you know, I had some awesome pastors. When I was little that I had tremendous respect for and thought, you know, I want to be like him, you know. Um, and, and so as I grew, and I'm not going to go through all the details, but I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 12 years old and really um, 
began, you know, I was really serious about the things of God and, and, and the call of God on my life and God's will for my life and understanding what that was. And, um, and started preaching, I guess, I don't know, around 14 years old. And, um, and thank God for his patience with me in those days, right? I was doing the best I could, and he knew that. Don't despise small beginnings. Be faithful in the little things, right? Um, but have you ever heard the expression uh, paralysis through analysis? Anybody ever heard that, paralysis through analysis? So paralysis through analysis means when you so analyze something that you never make a move. Um, and that's really where I was um, in my life. I was so afraid that I was going to make a wrong decision that I wouldn't make any decision. And um, in Dr. Renner's book, his, his biography talks about when his um, uh, youngest son, Joel, who's now, I think, the, I, don't, I forget exactly what he does in the ministry. He has a, you know, a very important position in their ministry now. But when he was 12 years old, he said they noticed, he noticed that he became real kind of melancholy and a little bit withdrawn and almost like sad. And so after a day or two, he, he just asked him, he said, son, you know, is there something you need to talk to me about? You seem to be troubled and, you know, me and your mom want to help you. And he's like, dad, I'm so glad you asked. He said, I'm just so worried that I'm not going to have enough money at retirement. And you think, what? 12 years old, right? So, but, somehow, but, but they talk about that, that he's, he's gifted that way and that he, he thinks forwardly. Um, and he's become a great financial manager and, 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 and all these other things. But notice now at 12 years old, he's thinking so far ahead that it's now starting to cause him anxiety uh, in, in, in his little young heart and, and, and these sort of things. So um, not that I was worried about my retirement at, at 15 years old, but I was certainly um, concerned that I was going to make a wrong decision which would carry me anywhere besides where I'm standing right now because I believe... Where I'm standing right now and what I'm doing right now is exactly what the Lord had written in a book for me to do before I was uh, ever put in my mother's womb. But I was afraid I was going to miss that. And so I agonized over it. I fasted over it. I, I, um, and I'm, I'm not, listen, I'm, <laughs> I'm just telling you, I was, I was confused, okay? Um, but that's kind of where I was. And so when I was, um, when I was 15, years old, the Lord um, showed me something very important, okay? He showed me that I was focused on, and I'm, I'm going to give you um, two words here, okay? Uh, I'll put them on the screen. Now, I, these aren't like, if you look these words up in the dictionary, they're probably not going to be there. You can look up the word macro and micro, and I think you will um, find those words there, okay? But when we talk about something that's macro, think macroeconomics, macrobiology, compared to microeconomics or microbiology, um, what we see is that macro basically is referring to the big picture. Um, you know, macroeconomics would be like economics on a large scale, uh, a community scale, and even a national, um, international. Um, and we, we're learning. Uh, uh, sadly, that um, what happens half a world away affects us economically here in the United States. And if you've, if you've put gas in your car lately, you know what I'm talking about, okay? Um, because of the, con the, the, I'm not going to call it a conflict, I'm going to call it a hostile invasion of Ukraine uh, by, by uh, uh, Vladimir Putin. 
Um, and so that would be like macroeconomics, the, the, the big picture, okay? Microeconomics would be more like um, on a personal level, you managing your own family budget or your own personal checkbook and, and, and these kinds of things. And, and of course we know that, you know, what's, what's done on a small scale affects what's done on a big scale, what's done on a big scale affects what's done on a small scale and how these um, uh, interact. And so the Lord um, introduced me uh, to these terms, um, just, I don't mean an audible voice, just speaking to me, a still small voice in, in, my, in my heart. And, and what he showed me is that I was agonizing over the micro will of God for my life. And by micro will of God, I was wanting to know specifics. I was wanting to know details. I was wanting to know names. I was wanting to know dates on a calendar. I was wanting to know, um, you know, all of these um, very uh, specific things um, for my life, you know, 20 years down the road, okay? And... Um, and that was what was keeping me in such anxiety and stress and, and I'll even say, to some extent, confusion. And so what the Lord showed me on that afternoon is that if I would focus on His macro will for my life, that He would make sure I never missed His micro will for my life. So what does that mean? He showed me that His macro will for my life was everything that I knew at 15 years old to be God's will for my life. Never have to ask God if it's His will for me to sin. Now that doesn't mean that we may make a mistake and commit a sin or what have you. You don't have to, amen. I'm certainly not trying to give you an excuse to. Um, but I don't ever have to ask Him, oh God, is it your will for me to sin today? That's an, it's a no-brainer, right? No, the answer is no. It's not His will, okay? Um, I never have to ask Him if it's His will for me uh, to fellowship with Him, to uh, intercede for other people. I never have to ask Him if it's His will for me to go to church, for me to serve Him in the local church. I never have to ask Him if it's will for me to pay my tithes. I never have to ask Him if it's will if it's will for me to give above and beyond my tithes. I never have to ask it's my will for His will for me to help other people. In other words, there are all kinds of big, big, long list of things that I knew at 15 years old. Um, and probably maybe hopefully no more even now, um, that were absolutely positively God's will for my life. It was a no-brainer, right? And so the simple instructions were, if I would commit myself to doing the part of God's will um, that I did know, that would um, not only carry me to and towards... Remember when I talked about my son when he was little, sitting in, he, he was trying to steer my truck, but you can't steer... A parked car. You got to get it moving to steer it, okay? And so, how do we get the truck of our lives, so to speak, moving so the Holy Spirit can steer us and guide us? It's by doing the, the part of God's will that we know. And when we engage our efforts and energies um, in, into seeking Him first and, and, and growing and learning and helping others and these kinds of things, then this is when the Lord can guide us into um, some very uh, specific and particular things, all right? Now, let me, let me give you an example, all right? Father knew when I was 15, okay, that um, in 1998 um, I would uh, be used by the Lord, me and my wife, and that we would start um, this church, um, Heritage Christian Center, in the showroom of our cabinet shop. You got to understand, at 15 years old, I had bought my first bandsaw and I enjoyed working with wood. But if you had told me at 15 years old that I would one day own a cabinet business, I would have laughed in your face. 
because I had absolutely zero desire to do that. As a matter of fact, I would have, I would have told you that that was not God's will for my life and don't even get behind me, Satan. You know, when, G, when, when, when Peter's trying to offer Jesus an alternative path, um, you know, to uh, regaining our lost authority, uh, I, would have, I would have rebuked you if you'd have said that, okay? But now watch this. If the Lord had told me when I was 15 years old, listen, son, let me go ahead and give you some specifics, all right? Um, first Sunday in June 1998, you and your wife, by the way, her name's Pam, um, you'll, uh, uh, you're going to start a church in the showroom of your cabinet shop. Well, notice, what would I have done at that moment? I'd have probably tried, not that my parents would have let me, but I'd have quit school and went to, went to learning how to make cabinets because, bless God, if i got, I got to know how to make cabinets, I'm going to cabinet shop. You see, in other words... I would have messed it up by trying to make a detail that God already knew in the future by trying to make it happen. So there was a whole lot of stuff that I needed to learn between, 15, you know, between the time I was 15 and by June of, of 1998. Okay? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? All right. So, um, so that would have been 1982, right? So we're talking like 16 years um, in the future uh, is, is, is when, you know, all that's going to happen, you know, a few blocks behind me down there on, on Commerce Avenue. Um, <clears throat> so, but the Lord knew that then. Now, I tell this, and, and I, I don't always share this, but I, I feel compelled to share it with this group. The Lord did, and I, 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 kid, uh, I, I kid by saying he threw me a bone, and this is just the goodness of God, and this is what he told me. He said, in five years you'll be married, and five years after that you'll have your first child, and her name will be Bethany. Now get up from here and go do what you know to do, because I know what your future is, son. Just follow me, and you, and you won't miss it, okay? And, um, and when I was 20 years old, I, I never thought I would marry that early, but when I was 20 years old, I married my wife Pam on July the 10th, 1987, Okay? On July the 20th, 1992, five years and ten days later, my wife gave birth to our first child, a girl named Bethany. And it was funny because they kept saying, well, do you not at least want to pick out a boy's name? I said, listen, I mean, when I say I saw her, I didn't see a vision of her. I saw her in my heart. I just, I knew. I said, no, I've known this girl. I've known this girl for ten years. You know, I'm ready to see her. You know what I'm saying? Um... And, and so, you know, it's, it's, I wish at that point in my life I would have been mature enough to just trust the Lord, you know, that he knew. But I guess he knew that there was some of this that I needed to know um, to settle my heart down so I could focus on what I needed to focus on. Um, and so <clears throat> when we talk about finding and discovering the will of God for your life, if, if I had time to tell you my whole story and... Um, and that's, I think, part of the reason why I relate so much to Dr. Rick Renner, not that I'm by any means trying to compare myself to him, but the Bible tells me not to do that anyway. But um, the title of his biography is Unlikely. And his journey to where he is right now and what he's doing right now is such an unlikely one. You understand what we mean by unlikely? I mean, it's unlikely that that would happen. This, but yet, this, this, was, this was the... That one word defines so many of the critical... Uh, moments um, in, in his life and you know to look at all the different 
turns and changes and seasons that have brought me to this point, right? Um, I, I know that God has, have I taken some wrong turns? Yes. Um, but it's, it's um, if I could just share the story one more time, not to be uh, repetitive. You know, the first time I was in Franklin, Tennessee, we had a, um, a wholesale business in Franklin, Tennessee uh, with, our, with our cabinet company. And this first time um, I had ever driven in an automobile with uh, a GPS. And, and this, you know, there's a voice coming out of the dashboard telling me how to get to Costco in Franklin, Tennessee. And I'm like, you know, I'm like pull the thing back. I'm looking up through the sunroof like how in the world? I mean, I, t technology, I have to watch myself with technology. I really like technology. And, um, and I was just amazed at this, you know. And so um, the voice out of the dash says in however many hundred feet, take a right-hand turn. And I got this crazy idea to try to confuse it. And so I just took a left. There was nobody coming. I just took a real, I took a quick left and kind of punched it, you know. And, um, and, the, and the little screen went, the little screen went, down and then it came up and it said, I thought, ah, oh, I got you, you know, I'm looking up, see who's watching me, you know. And, it, and then it goes recalculating, 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 and then it started giving me directions from where I was at that point back to my original destination. And at that moment, the Spirit of God fell on me. Because, because even if we take some wrong turns, He still knows how to get us to where we need to be, right? And that's the amazing thing ab about our Father. We can take some wrong turns. It doesn't mean that He can't still get you back in alignment with His plan for your life on the right road, if you will, so to speak, okay? And so, amen. And that certainly has been my story. You know, you hear uh, even secular songs, and now it's we've, we're hearing the expression in um, in some Christian-related uh, contemporary Christian songs. And I'm not—you you can take this too far. Don't misunderstand me. But you know, this idea of of a, of a broken road, meaning what? Meaning you know, it wasn't a straight shot for all of us to get to where God would have us to be and on the path that He would have us to be on. But you know, the Bible says we all did our own thing. We all went our own way. And that Father laid our willful disobedience and acts of sinfulness uh, on Jesus um, so that we could be brought back into His well-pleasing, beneficial, all-encompassing will um, for our lives and families. Yes, sir. Um, so hypothetically, someone has a um, really strong desire to, to, to teach, right? Now, okay. the thing is, teaching is such a broad spectrum, right? Yes. I mean, we're talking like school, first graders, second graders, high schoolers, you know what I mean? Or then you go into ministry, right? So it can cover a lot of ground, right? Um, so just so I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I understand this concept correctly, right? So teaching itself would be a macro thing, right? What, what would fall in micro, like the school that you choose to go to to get the education, to get the degree? Are, the, are these micro level things? Absolutely. The specifics, the details. The path, right? The the steps, the action steps, okay? And brother, I'm not calling you out, but you was talking about this grade, that grade, whatever. And I'm going to tell you what the Holy Spirit was almost hollering inside of me. He said, nations. You're going to teach nations, brother. Nations. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Nations. Amen. 
See, this is what you got. My nephew came to me many years ago, and he said, Uncle Mark, I, you know, don't you pray about something? He said, I think I'm going to go, because uh, he knew. I, I was never a police officer, but I worked as a 911 operator, worked around policing for a while. And my, again, you talk about. But see, even that, so I am like wanting to do something in ministry, but none of those doors were really opening here or there. I get an opportunity to go preach and that sort of thing. And so by this time, you know, Bethany's here and, and, um, and I was still assistant manager of the River Chase Gallery at Chick-fil-A. And, and, um, and so I had this opportunity to use my degree in communications um, with the city of Hoover. They were bringing on the 911 operator. And, and um, so one of my coworkers um, that uh, Lord, I was able to minister to her and, and uh, minister to some other folks there. I mean, I didn't come in guns blazing, but, you know, they figured out real quick that I didn't uh, behave like a lot of those folks behaved, and, and you kind of stick out like a sore thumb, you know. And, but anyway, that, they would come to me. You know, some of the folks that kind of jabbed me about it at first, you know, on night shift when everything settled down, back in those days in the city of Hoover, there wasn't a lot. You know, that, was, that was, I think, a flashing caution light at, at 150 in Shadescrest Road, you know. Um, but anyway, they would uh, they would come in, you know, and hey, listen, I'm struggling in my marriage, man. You got anything to help me? You know, was, they would they would open up to me, and I'm and I was honored for them to do that. And um, I pointed to David because he works for the city of Hoover still. So anyway, um, and um, so there was there was a, a, a coworker there. Her church was looking to hire a youth pastor, and her parents were on the committee to find one. Okay. And she told him about me. She goes, There's, I work with this guy. You've got you to at least talk to him, you know. And so <clears throat> there was another uh, family that was on that committee, um, and I dated their daughter in high school. And they said, well, we, we, we want to, um, we, we've got a candidate too. We want to, we want to, so they, they, you know, all in favor say, ah, whatever, you know how they do those business meetings. <laughs> and so they, they left that meeting thinking they had two candidates until they made the phone calls. And I got a call from two different families. They're like, hey, would you? I said, it's funny. You know, this family called the Johnsons just called me to, you know, are you kidding me? You work with Connie? I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know. And um, so notice now, even, even in that, you know, so that, so here we go. You know, it's, right. So that was where I met the guy that I let borrow in my car. Y'all have heard that story. Okay, so anyway, uh, <laughs> praise God. Okay, now let me get back focused here. So, um, so. I mean that doesn't that doesn't mean, brother, that you don't. Um, in other words, the Lord will lead you. You see what I'm saying? Um, I, I I needed um, I needed some uh, like my my business experience. Um, I, I needed that. The Lord used that to grow me. He used that to teach me. He used that. Um, to, you know, to to I was going to go and get a master's in business administration. Um, I don't have a degree, but I got the I got the I got the education by running my own business. You you, you follow what I'm saying? So, um, so even like and I'm not trying to listen. You know, Apostle Paul said he magnified his ministry, not himself, his ministry. Okay, um, you know, I, I think I told you a while back. You know, a dear friend who took this class, I think nine times. Um, Graham Bufford, uh, Donald knows Graham. Been a great blessing and mentor to Graham. You know, he's a licensed professional counselor now. He's one of those counselors that take Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance. He will soon be Dr. Bufford. Um, and he called me the other day. He says, I just want you to know stuff I learned in discipleship class. He's not, I mean, he's a Christian who counsels, but he doesn't work necessarily for a Christian-based firm. 
Um, but he said, I just want you to know, I just used stuff I learned in discipleship class um, with, with this gentleman that had come to me and, um, and he left out of here a different man. Um, and I just felt like I needed to call you and tell you. So I'm not, I'm, that's, the, that's the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just trying to say, don't, don't be surprised if things that the Holy Spirit teaches you right here are not things that, um, that you use uh, for many years uh, to come in whatever it is that He has called you to do. Uh, marriage, child raising, um, grandchild uh, influencing, uh, careers, you know, all, all of these um, sorts of things. But I, I'm going to come back to my nephew. He says... Uh, I think I want to be a police officer. What are your thoughts on that? Whatever. And I said, listen, I'll, I'll certainly pray with you about this. Has the Lord called you to this? Has he, has he told you to do this? I said, because the people who do that are called to do it. It's a special person who can do that job effectively. Now we see a lot of folks, right, who are in law enforcement, got no business being in law enforcement, okay? Mm -hmm. Bullies and racists and that. But they're, listen, those folks are so, I mean, it's the bad apples that get the press. You know, for every one person, 10,000 police officers that have given their lives to serve, uh, protect and serve, right? That's the motto. Um, but that's a calling. Um, and not just because, you know, you can go do that and make good money and have good benefits and get good retirement. But, it, you know, you've got to be called to do that or you're not going to be fulfilled in doing it. And in my years working for the city of Hoover, I've seen a lot of guys go through the academy, get on the street. And some of them, a year or two later, they, you know, they've gone off into some other business, some other field because it's just, it's just not, it's not what they're called to do, right? So when it comes to teaching, teaching is a calling. I, I just like, um, you know, uh, uh, people who can, you know, look at complicated machinery and, and just they see exactly, they, they listen to it, know what needs to be. Again, they're gifted, they're called to do that. And we could just go on and on and on, right? So that's the, that's the main thing is um, the fact that you feel drawn to teach, right, is a pretty good sign to me that it's something you're called to do. That's 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 the big picture. That's that's the micro. Examples where somebody is uh, uh, drawn to something, but it's not the will. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but <laughs> that's uh, um, in other words, that, you know, we start getting in the weeds here for not careful as far as all the different oh, things we can say. No, no. I, but but. Um, <laughs> So I guess then the question would be, was it God's will for me to own a cabinet business? Right. I mean, certainly he could have gotten me there without that, but he, it was something he used. And um, um, there's just so many details, but again, we're, you know, um, if, if, if we're, you feel led to go and be and do next, um, if it's not God's, um, uh, you know, sweet spot for you, like I, the sweet spot of life, right, is when you're doing what you're called to do with the people you're called to do it with, when you're supposed to be doing it, all that stuff, right? If, if, if that's not it, then that, that place will lead you to what is. Does that make sense? Again, if you just keep putting God first, if you just keep, you know, listening to Him, if you keep following Him, if you keep growing up into Jesus, if you keep... You know, he's, he's going to get you 
to where you know he created you and intended for you to be. You, you, you trust him, right? Trust him. Lean not to your own understanding in all your ways. Uh, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. He will direct your path. And I'm I am a uh, a, a living. Uh, that's something that's been proven to me. Let's just say it that way. Okay. Come on with it, brother. Say it loud. That's a really big picture, yes, sir. Yeah, that's just big picture. And then you said, if you focus on big picture, once more told you, then I'll make sure you miss that. You don't miss out on the, the individual things. And love opens the door to the knowing. You remember what I yes, sir. with you? Yes, sir. So believe on the name Jesus and love your brother. That's big picture. And I'm just confident that I guarantee you won't miss out. You won't. You'll never miss out. And don't you think that's why the devil tries so hard, you know, with unforgiveness and bitterness and off, off, you know, being offended at people and, and all these things that he, he's a punk, man. I mean, he'll try to get that kind of, you know, stuff going in your heart because, again, that, that's, he's trying to pull you away uh, from and off uh, course uh, for what, you know, Father would have for you to, to, to do and to be and to, and to experience in life. So it's a good point, Donald. Thank you for that. Amen. All right. Um, praise God. Can you believe it's already been an hour? Man, it goes by fast, doesn't it? It does for me anyway. Um, let me, I want to, I made a, I made reference to these verses a few times, but we never actually put them on the screen. And so um, there, there, there's a statement that is frequently misused and I believe needs a lot of clarification. And it's the statement, you've probably heard it, um, maybe you've thought it or said it, um, but let's make sure if we're gonna use it, we're gonna use this phrase accurately because the devil loves to confuse people with this. And I think I can make a, uh, a, I can make a case where it's not 100% a lie, okay, but most of the time, I'm going to say 99% of the time you hear somebody make this statement, it's, it's not true. And that statement is God is in control. God is in control. I saw some of you look kind of shocked when I said that, okay. God is in control, okay. God is in control, right. See, this is back to another version of everything that happens is God's will, right. Um, when we say God is in control, right? Well, let me give you a couple of verses and we'll come back to the statement, see if you still are, are concerned about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Okay? So notice now, that's lowercase g-o-d, but do you know who this is referring to? This is the Word of God referring to Satan as the God of this age. One translation says he's the God of this world. Okay? Satan is the God of this world. Now listen, I feel some of you getting a little anxious with me now. Just hang on here, right? We're answering this question, what is man? Man's a legal authority. 
but, but mankind keeps bowing their knee to God's enemy. Okay? Let me, let me give you um, another one. This one is, is really, I should have probably just led with this one and stayed with this one, okay? Jesus saying, John 14, 30, Jesus speaking here, he says, I'll no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He's not talking about his father. He's talking about the devil. The devil's coming for him. The ruler of this world is coming. Notice what Jesus could say. And he has nothing in me. You know how the devil didn't have anything in Jesus? Because Jesus didn't give him any place. Jesus didn't entertain his junk. Jesus didn't, didn't make room for him. Are you seeing this? So who, who did Jesus say was the ruler of this world? He said Satan was the ruler of this world. Now when I say I could make it, if, if you say God is in control in the sense that there's coming a time when the lease is up and when the lease is up, um, the director's going to enter stage right and it's going to be time for something different, then yeah, on, on that um, scale of understanding, okay, but when we talk about the everyday little details of our lives, who, who's the legal authority on this earth? If you're going to have God's will in your life, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to find it. You're going to have to understand it. <laughs> you're going to have to submit to it. And you're going to have to do it. Right? And, and He's not going to make you. He wants you to. He's going to encourage you. He's going to teach you in the same way that Satan is trying to, to draw you away from it. Father God, the holy angels, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, His people are going to try to encourage you and draw you towards it. But at the end of the day, if you harden your heart and stiffen your neck, right, that's, that's up to you. See, when people say God's in control of this world, it, it, it really uh, uh, concerns me, okay? Because um, if, and I'm going to say something, because I'm 100% convinced that he's not, all right? But I'm going to say something that may shock you, okay? If God's in control of this world, he's doing a pretty lousy job. But see, if you want to look at where God's in control, where God's calling all the shots, all right? So in heaven is where God's in control. Are you seeing this? That's where, that's where God rules and, and, and is in control. And um, how many folks sick up there? How many folks broken homeless up there? Um, as Keith Moore says, what was the crime rate in heaven last week? How about on the west side after dark? As he left, <laughs> I'm quoting Keith Moore now. Okay, But he's, just, he's making this point, right? So what we see on earth is that down here we're in control. Right? This, you've seen these little children, and, I, and I'm telling you, listen to me, please. It's, it, we're seeing things. Right? Jesus said, the closer we get to the end, we're going to see some of the same things we've been seeing all along, but they're going to increase in frequency, and they're going to increase in intensity, just like a woman giving birth, labor pains. Right? So see, we think about it now. And I know some of you are isolated from the news, and I don't pay a whole lot of attention to it, but the, but the one thing that's really, and me and Pam have been standing against this, praying against this, it's the number of children and babies that are being gunned down. Gosh, how many this year? I mean, it's it, just an honor student, what was he a third grader, 10 years old, whatever, sitting on his front porch. Shot and killed. I mean, just you're, you're almost hearing about it, if not every week, every two or three days. Okay? So, you see what I'm saying? God didn't, God didn't shoot that child. To, and I, and listen, I know, I know sometimes people get comfort 
from saying, well, you know, God's in control, and we don't know why he wanted that little kid shot, but see, no, 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 see, God, that, uh-uh, that ain't. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, period. Jesus came to give us life and to give it to us in overflowing abundance. So we, we have to understand this. Now, we're also, along with this, we have to understand John 17, 15, and 16, okay? And what is, what is that? Did I ever put, I don't know if I ever put this one up. Did I ever put that one on the screen? I'll no longer talk with you for the ruler's world's coming. He has nothing in me. All right, let's go a few chapters over. John 17, 15, and 16. Jesus speaking. He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. This is Jesus praying to his Father for us, for his disciples, that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So it's these, it's this, these passages and others that are related to it and connected with it that we come to this simple statement. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. And just like Jesus, we're here, but we're connected to heaven and therefore have the capacity to bring answers and resources from the kingdom of heaven into this earth realm to make a difference in the lives of other people. Yes, sister. You know, again, sister, I, and, and I don't think she would mind me saying this, but our, our family, my daughter's had two. It's, it's, it's painful. It's agonizing. And I, I, don't, I don't know that a single answer can be given in all those situations. And I know sometimes we like real neat, crisp, single answers that can be s stated in one sentence with small words. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think there are different aspects to all of that. I do believe personally and from both the Word of God and then from people who have been to heaven, I believe I have two grandchildren in heaven that I will see there one day. I believe they're there with my Heavenly Father. And, um, and a thousand years from now, I won't remember life without them on this planet. Um, and, um, but I still think it goes back to the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And there are multiple causes for miscarriages, right? And so, again... Um, well, this is the one thing, and listen to me, please. We, we, can't, we can't understand, because right now, what are we talking about? What are we? What are we? We're God-class beings. We're spirit beings. We're legal authority on planet Earth. Says who? Says our Creator. Says God. Okay? So to understand these things, and there's a reason, listen to me, there's a reason why some of you have never heard any teaching like this your whole life. Okay? Because number one, a lot of the people that, that you've had teach the Word of God to you have taught you other things besides this, and I'm not, I'm not throwing rocks at, at, at them, all right? But there's a, there's a real big reason why even people who understand this, they don't like to teach it because it, it, it's a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, it's like, wow, you know, if the, you know, how many times over the last few weeks have we, and some of you even said as such, you know, you know I'm, I'm paraphrasing now. It's like, how have I made it this, this long and not understood this? You know, it's almost like, gosh, you know, you know. Yeah, okay. So it's like, if this is true, if this is true, so this changes everything. See, the devil wants, again, I'm going back to it. The devil wants you to see yourself as a physical being trying to have a spiritual experience at the mercy of whatever comes along and everything that happens on planet Earth is God's will and you can either like it and get with the program or go to hell uh, without him and blah, 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 blah. And, and, and he's, he's lying to you. He's a thief. He steals...
and sister. He he gives life. He doesn't he doesn't take life, right? And and so it could have been. You know, one of the things, and some of y'all know a little bit of what my, my mother's going through, and it's amazing to me how many doctors, because, and she has had some of the godly men and women. I'm talking about pray, and I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about token prayers with her. I'm not trying to make light of a token, you know, it's like, you know, a token prayer is like, okay, Lord, whatever you want to do now, thank you for I'm talking about praying, word-based, word spirit-led, healing prayers over my mother, you know, doctors, right? And, and they've learned on how, what they call it, bedside manner. They've learned how to comfort and encourage and minister to people who receive um, serious health diagnoses. And I can't tell you how many doctors, and I didn't, I, I didn't even think about this, but they did because they, they are gifted in these areas. They would take my mother by the hand and look her in the eye and say, Miss Winslet, you did not cause this. And all of a sudden she'd start crying. You know, and later I was like, Mom, she was, well, I just thought it was something I did or something I ate or something I didn't do. You know, and that's just the devil, right? The devil tries to bring that condemnation on us, you know, and tell us, well, if you'd have done this, if you hadn't have done that, if you'd have went there and hadn't went there, well, you know, maybe so, maybe not. But the thing is, to learn these things, it's not about condemnation. It's not about judging anybody. It's not about, it's none of that. It's just so that we can understand. You know, when, when things happen in people's lives, in, in, in um, well, I mean, me and my mother, we, we have had some very, very deep and serious conversations about the things that she's overcoming in her life right now. And, and it's not, listen to me, please. We, we believe that, that Jesus bled to death naked on a cross for everybody. We believe that by his stripes, she was healed, okay? That, that if, 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 um, if healing never manifests in her body, it's not because it wasn't God's will to heal her. It's because for whatever reason, she has not been able to access by faith what grace has already done for her, already given to her. Now, these may sound like extreme positions and harsh and all these other things. So the conversations that we have, we had a very great one today, deep and personal, right? Is her going before the Lord and saying, Father, where have I missed it? If I've missed it, show me. Not because she's trying to blame herself or condemn herself or judge herself or certainly nobody else, right? But here's the thing. None of us are faith ninjas yet. Are you know what I'm saying? We're all growing. We're all learning. You know, like a faith ninja, like, you know, it's like, you know, every, everything we get is just, you know, we're, 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 we're learning. We're, we're growing. We're, 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 um, old guy can still move a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. All right, so, so. In other words, we can either, because this, this is what people want to do with situations like this. Well, it was God's will. You never know about God. Sometimes He does, sometimes He don't. The mysterious will of God. Nobody can know. That's not what the Bible teaches, right? But, but what's the alternative? The alternative is, Father, you're a good God. So teach me what I need to understand about this, not just so that I can benefit from it, but so that I can help somebody else and, and minister to somebody else and be a blessing to somebody else and encourage somebody else. I'm not seeing anybody in this room, but do you have any idea how many people over the years have told me that God handpicked them to be an addict? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. I actually, no, I believe that for a while, actually. Yeah, that God picked me. People's different burdens, and I say, of all 
the things why I meth addicts. You know what I'm saying? Because all the, I'd rather just take it. You know, I don't know. No, I'm with you, right? I, no, I understand. I didn't, uh, you know. Y'all quit laughing at stuff I say because some people in here may think that. No, I'm just kidding. But, 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 but I've had a lot of people, and, and, and a lot of them, you know, like in classes like this, they come to me after, Pastor Mark, I, you helped me so much tonight. I thought it was God. You know, and then I've had others like, well, I don't care what you say. It was God's will for me to be in there because I couldn't help anybody unless I become an addict. You know? And I'm like, man, you know, again, it's, it's like, do I? <laughs> I? That's my belligerent, you know, don't. don't don't confuse me with the truth. My mind's made up voice, all right? Um, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying there weren't extenuating circumstances and, and, and the enemy trying to set you up and end your life early and all these other things, but God never bought you one ounce of crystal meth. He never uh, prepared a rig for you. He, you see what I'm saying? Those were our choices. We, we were in control of that. That was our will for our lives, not his um, uh, well-pleasing, beneficial, all-encompassing will. Yes, brother. Last week, we talked about par ominiscent, God being par ominiscent, not sovereign. So is the devil sovereign over the world right now today since you're saying he's the ruler of the world? And did like God give him a lease on us too? Or? So God didn't give it to him. Adam well, gave no. it to him. Yeah, Adam, Adam bowed his knee. And so the devil's a liar. Jesus has thoroughly and soundly and completely destroyed him and defeated him. First of all, he was never God, okay? And, um, and, and it's amazing to me how people think that he's just as powerful as God now and maybe more powerful. He was never as powerful as God at, at his highest and best. And, and so now he, he has, you know, fell from heaven like lightning He's been stripped. He's, a, as a friend of mine, Lee Jones says, he's an archangel wannabe, okay? Um, and he's a liar and he's a deceiver. And, and just like one of the classic examples would, would have been, remember when Saddam Hussein ruled Iraq with an iron fist, handcuffing people's hands behind their back and throwing them off five-story buildings in front of their families, taking power drills and drilling out men's knees to torture them and all this other stuff. Big, bad, mean, all that other stuff, right? Until all the people that he derived his authority from were taken out from under him. Now he's an animal hiding in a hole in the ground. You see what I'm saying? All, all, he derived his authority by the people that he terrorized and, 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 and was, was a tyrant over. And when, and when that was taken out from him, he had, now he's, he's running. He hung from his neck, right, if, if, if I remember history correctly. Okay? So, so that's, that's a classic example of how the, what the devil tries to do in the spiritual realm. All of his authority is stolen or hijacked. Remember, he can't make anybody do anything. But if he can get people to cooperate with him, and that, that's, that's how he works. That's where he derives his authority. But the devil's defeated. He's, he has been made an open spectacle of uh, by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the only reason he's not under our feet is because we don't put him there and keep him there. And we entertain his lies and, and, and the things that he tries to, to utilize and use against us. Um, and he manipulates our flesh. He manipulates our thoughts if we let him. But again, that's why Jesus said he's coming, but he, don't have, he, he has nothing in me um, because he hasn't given him any, Jesus didn't give him any place. And that's why it's so important. Ephesians tells us do not give the devil place in our lives because the, you know, if we give him place, then it becomes a platform, a beachhead for him to try to torment us and lie to us and, and ultimately try to take more and more 
uh, ground, so to speak, in our hearts and minds and, and, and thoughts and thinking, right? So, and by the way, the word you're looking for, omnipotent. Omni, omni meaning all, potent meaning power, omnipotent, all-powerful. So it's a great question, and absolutely not. The devil is, is not all-powerful, and well, he was... That's what I was saying, but is he sovereign at this time over this? Um, Small part. He, is, he only has authority, so remember, sovereign means to have supreme authority in a limited sphere. So he only has authority over people who give it to him, right? And, and, and if we don't give it to him, he don't have it. Um, so think about it for just a moment, okay? And, and what could the devil accomplish on planet Earth today if nobody listened to him or did anything he suggested? He couldn't do a single thing. He couldn't have a single baby shot in the streets of Birmingham. He could nothing, right? Nothing. If people didn't listen to him and do what he said, he could not accomplish a single thing, okay? And I want to use stronger words than that. And I don't know why. I couldn't do a daggum thing, right? I don't say, you know, couldn't, right? He couldn't. But again, he's able to, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, brother, I'm sorry. You, you know, you used to like think, man, what's going on in Chicago? But now it's like, what's going on in Birmingham? It's, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. Um, but again, amen. Um, so, yes, sister. He absolutely was, and, and we had, I'm going to keep like, the reason I mention this is because one day when y'all have access to a computer, you can go back. We had almost two-hour class on that whole subject, but he was Lucifer. He was one of the three archangels that we know of. I believe, personally, there's only three. There could be 3,000, but the three that we know of, of course, was Lucifer before he fell, then Michael and Gabriel, and um, when Lucifer fell, the Bible says he took one-third of the holy angels with him. Um, and, of course, that's what the demons are today is those fallen um, uh, angels. But, yes, he, Brother Copeland says, and, and there's no scripture to support this, but Brother Copeland's a prophet, and, and I put, have a lot of confidence in what he says. Um, it, 2020, he, the Lord showed, told him that 2020 would be a year of great change. Well, when he prophesied that at the beginning of the year, I'm like, yes, sir, bring on the change, right? Had no idea the change that was coming. But it was the year of great change, the greatest year of change, obviously not the kind of change that I was thinking. But for me personally, it was a positive change. The Lord did a lot in my life, my family, this church in, in 2020. Um, and so he says, because the, the Lord Jesus has a personal angel. The angel of the Lord is his own angel that serves him and you know, think of like a right-hand angel instead of man, okay? And, um, and Brother Copeland says that Lucifer was Jesus' um, angel before he fell, that they were very the close. The reason why he, uh, God kicked them out was because the, God wanted the angels to, we were above the angels, and the devil didn't, couldn't do that, so he got kicked out, right? He, he rebelled. He didn't say, I would exalt my throne above God. He said, I'll exalt my throne above the stars or above the offspring of God, which is us. Um, he had no problem being, you know, number two to Jesus is number one, but he did not want to be number three to our number two. And, um, and so, yes, great, great point. Um, yes. I wanted to say something about what Homeboy said about the, uh, um, <clears throat> the Satan's sovereignty or limited sovereignty, right? And how, how this uh, uh, is connected to, like, 
female possession, right? So is that somebody, whether unintentionally or intentionally, like coming into agreement with that? Because you said that we don't, he only has sovereignty over what we allow him to have, right? So, so de de yeah, demonic possession um, is, again, I guess we could say the ultimate giving place um, to the devil. And a lot of times you, you see a lot of, we, there's people demonically possessed here in, in the United States of America. I have personally been a part of casting demons out of people um, here. Um, it's, it's my experience, and again, anytime I give you a theory, I wave a red flag. But I believe um, if you go overseas, you see um, manifestations of demonic possession um, more and more. Um, and, and, and you see less and less of that here. Now, I'll tell you one of the most dramatic things that I ever saw in a demonically possessed woman that, thank God, was set free. Um, I was with a pastor at a, he was a guest evangelist at a church, and I went there to just help him pray and that sort of thing at the end. And this woman, I know y'all think I'm making this up, okay, both hands behind her back, laying on her belly, she slithered up to the altar. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So those things are certainly exist here, but I believe personally that the devil, the devil's strategy against us here in, in this nation is for people not to believe he exists. And so a lot of times those, those types of manifestations you don't see, that doesn't mean people aren't demonically possessed, but in other uh, less developed or developing nations, you see a lot more demonstrative, uh, display of demonic possession because in those places the devil has more effect by intimidation and scaring people right and so you get somebody start a demon start manifesting on a mission field folks will scatter you know they're afraid and so the de again it's it's just how the devil operates okay but and, and a lot of times, Jerry and Marilyn O'Dell, um, people that we support here, international evangelists and apostles, um, they, they talk about some, uh, a lot of times it's women, not that men can't be possessed by demons, but a lot of times it's women and once they're delivered and set free, you find out that there was like horrific abuse, sexual abuse and things of that nature that um, those kinds of wounds and and um, it opens up the door, uh, you know, for them, uh, for those kinds of things in their life. Amen. All right. <sighs> Praise God. Everybody good? We just need to come on a Saturday and stay all day, don't we? Praise God. All right. Let's, um, let's, uh, let's um, amen, 626. Let's at least try to get anybody else. Donald, I know you always got something. Anybody else got something on this um, subject? All right. Let's. Let's real quick, like, let me try to at least get this one started. Man, I thought we would be further along tonight. I don't, listen, I'm not saying that like as a, as a wah, wah, wah kind of thing. I'm just saying it, it's, uh, it, you guys are a great group. You're fun to, uh, to minister to and serve. Um, so let's go now. We're going to add one to the list. We're going to add number four to the list, okay? Um, man is a God-class being, right? We're reviewing now. Number two, what is man? Man is a spirit being. You'll never know who you are, why you are, until you first know what you are. Number three, man is the legal authority on earth. Man is the legal authority on earth. And then we got number four, man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. Man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. Okay? 
So that's kind of a lengthy uh, statement there. But one more time, man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. And we get this from uh, Genesis 1 where God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule or let them have dominion. And so we've looked at that verse um, many times. And so you think, well, wait, haven't we covered this already? But remember the law of first mention. This is why we go back to these verses in Genesis 1 so much is because so many things about us and about what we are are revealed in these opening pages of the Bible. So when we say that man is a being created in the image and likeness of God in answering the question, what is man? We have to understand uh, image and likeness. And he's saying that we not only look the way God looks, but that we function the way he functions. Okay, So we were created to look like God. Um, God has, again, a head. He has hair on his head. He has two ears, two eyes, one nose, one mouth a right hand, a left hand, four fingers and a thumb on both. We just go on and on. God has an elbow. God has a backside, and Moses saw it, okay? So, um, so again, he formed us uh, to, uh, to look like he looks, but image and likeness are not just redundancies of one another. He's saying in those two words that it's more than just a, a resemblance but that he also created us and designed us to function the way he functions. And God functions according to a very uh, specific uh, way, manner, uh, so to speak. All right. So from this, then, um, what, let me see if I can say it this way. Uh, it might be easier for me just to read it, okay? We've already established that man is a God-class being and is the only thing created in the image and likeness of God. Remember when... When Adam looked for uh, across everything God created to find one comparable to him, and there was none comparable. And remember, we talked about the, the relationship between um, comparability and compatibility for things to be, uh, to have an upper level, uh, uh, high level of compatibility, there had to be a high level of comparability. And so, this is why God made us so comparable to himself because he created us to have compatibility with himself. You remember, I know we've covered a lot of stuff here, all right? Um, and so um, I know that we, we have uh, um, established that and talked about that, but here's kind of the essence of, of where we're going with this. Because we were created by God in His image and likeness, this means that we possess certain characteristics and abilities that exist nowhere else in creation. Okay, We, we have the ability, the capacity... Um, to do things that no one else has the ability to do, at least on the level that we have the ability to do them, other than God, right? And when you begin to understand these characteristics, you begin um, to get down to the essence of, of where your life unfolds on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, right? Have you ever heard expressions like the cutting edge? Or have you ever heard the expressions like where the rubber meets the road? or get down to the nitty-gritty, right? The, so what we're talking about there is we're, is we're talking about, um, you know, I guess to use a word we've used already tonight, the micro, where it's, where it's unfolding, okay? Your life is, is unfolding uh, in, in front of you. Uh, it's choice-driven, right? The choices that we make, the, the thoughts that we have that produce the emotions that influence the choices. 
and, 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 and these sorts of things. And so when we talk about just the essence of our lives and, and what um, has such tremendous impact and effect on our lives, um, it comes back to these uh, God characteristics um, that, that we possess that um, exist nowhere else in creation. And as we begin to work, and I, we could talk about this, I think I mentioned at the beginning of the class, we, we could talk about these things for weeks and weeks and weeks, all right? We, we're not going to do that because we've got some other things we need to get to before we're done and reach class 36. Um, but when we talk about um, these characteristics, um, and by the way, um, one of the most important ones uh, I'm doing for you right now, okay, and that's the ability to speak. Okay, um, see, I have in my notes that uh, these characteristics that we're talking about um, have more impact and influence on your life reality on a, on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis than, than, than any other variable you have uh, to manage, okay? Um, but they're hiding in plain sight. It's things that we don't, uh, at least most people don't uh, really think of as being that influential or that uh, powerful as far as their, their life realities are concerned. I'm going to show you in Scripture that the words that come out of your mouth literally determine the course that your life follows. What, what you say, right, is like a rudder on a ship or a bit in a horse's mouth um, or a spark that, um, that sets a, a thousand acres on fire. And all this comes back to the simple God. Why is that? Why are our words so powerful? It's because you were created in the image and likeness of God, okay? And He gave you the ability, He created you with the ability to speak, okay? And He said death and life is in the power of His tongue or your tongue? It's in the power of your tongue, okay? Death and life literally hinge on what we say. So, oh, Pastor Mark, do you really believe all that? What does the Word say about it? I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm not telling you what Kenneth Hagin said. I'm telling you what Jesus Christ and the Word of God say to us. But see, people fight this. They dismiss this. Oh, it's not that big a deal, right? You will never have a different or better life if you keep saying what you've always said about situations and circumstances and issues and blah, blah, blah in your life. And, and ultimately what the devil is, is after is what you say about yourself, self-talk, right? And, and he wants you to use the power of words to shoot yourself in your own foot over and over and over again. Amen or oh me? All right. So this is what we say. It's hard to kind of capture this. That's why what is man? The answer is a being created in the image and likeness of God. But, but ultimately what we mean by that is these uh, unique characteristics and abilities that we possess um, because we were created in God's image and likeness, okay? So these things are very powerful. Um, they have tremendous impact on your life uh, in general. Uh, I'm sorry, on life in general. So when I mean life in general, um, have you figured out by now that what other people do can, can in affect you, impact you? Um, this is why the Bible says that we should pray for those who have the rule over us, whether you voted for them or not, okay? Why? He said, you pray for them so that it might be well with you, right? Because decisions that political leaders make affect our lives in some way. Now, that doesn't mean that our covenant, we can't rise above those things and overcome those things, so forth and so on. Um, but nonetheless, 
decisions that other people make can positively impact, impact our lives and also uh, negatively impact our lives. So we see that the characteristics that we're talking about, the abilities that we're talking about are very powerful. They have tremendous impact on life in general, but, but more specifically on your life in particular. And then just like anything else, our ignorance is Satan's advantage. And he is banking on you never understanding these things He's banking on continuing to use these things for his agenda in your life, okay? Um, and so when you take someone who's ignorant of um, the power uh, of agreement, for example, that's one that we'll look at, um, you know, things that we agree with, things that we agree to, um, this is a tremendous uh, ability and characteristic that we possess that you know, we just, listen, I want you in Jesus' name, as we're landing in this class, you know, uh, for, for, the, for the evening. In Jesus' name, you're going to become more and more aware of things. That, notice somebody will be sitting there, if you're not careful, if you're not careful, somebody will be sitting there saying something just cray-cray crazy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you'll be sitting there going, and, and on the inside, you're going. <laughs> but, but it's like almost, you know, you don't even realize. You're just sitting there, you know, no, no. Uh-uh, right? Because, again, the devil is, is trying to get you into agreement with things, right, that you have no business being in agreement with. What's the best advice we could ever give anybody? Agree with God and agree with Him quickly. Agree with God, okay? And so, but see, now the enemy, he's wanting you to agree with him. Whose report will you believe? To whom, are the arm, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed, right? See, if you, if you want to see God's arm revealed in your life, you've got to believe what he says about your situation. You've got to agree with him, not agree with the enemy. So agreement is another one of these things. So, but if we never understand that, notice it kind of, that's what I mean by hidden in plain sight. These are things that, that we utilize on a, on a moment by moment basis in our lives, day by day basis in our lives without ever really considering the eternal uh, ramifications, implications, whatever word I'm looking for there, uh, effect uh, that these things have, okay? So, um, I need to really and truly, we've got to finish this class. I could keep going here. So let me just say this, and I'm going to give you some big words, but, and we'll get into them as we begin next week. But the characteristics, and this is important for you to understand it, they are both dynamic and they are interactive. And so dynamic is, and I'll give you these definitions. Don't try to write it down necessarily right now. I'm just trying to find a place to, 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 to put on the brakes here. But when we say something is dynamic, among other things, um, the word dynamic means an underlying cause of change. Something that is dynamic is something that's producing an underlying cause of change. So if it's, if it's something underlying, then that means it's, it's working, okay? Uh, the, uh, the, the plumbing that, that feeds this building is underlying. We, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't see it, but I, I remember when it was put in, right? It goes out of the restrooms, across the parking lot, down the property line, okay? Um, so it's there. It's working, thank God, okay? Um, but it's, it's something that is not readily noticeable. But again, this is an underlying uh, cause or an underlying agent of change. These are things that we don't necessarily see and notice and recognize, but they are producing uh, change in our lives. And I wish I could tell you that, that these things only produce positive change, but they uh, can produce negative change as well. Um, these things can be your best friend. These characteristics can be your best friend. 
working for you, but they can also be a very bad enemy in your life working against you. So two things, they're dynamic, okay? And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means, but they're also interactive. So by interactive, we're talking about two or more things working together that both influence and affect one another. So for instance, we've, we just mentioned two of the five that we're gonna look at. Um, agreement, we have the ability to agree, and then we have this ability to speak. Do you see how they're related? So it's one thing for somebody to say something and you just sit there on the inside, you're going no, but you don't even realize you're shaking your head, okay? But it's, an, it's another thing for you to uh, agree and then actually voice that agreement out of your mouth, for you to set that thing in motion in your life or the life of somebody else, right? Because you're actually now um, saying it um, uh, out of your mouth. Why, why, do you, why do you think people, oh man, why do, you think, why do you think the enemy is wanting us to always like have death in, in our vocabulary, right? Um, that pie's to die for. You scared me to death. My feet are killing me. See, again, it's like, well, my feet are killing me, Pastor Mike. No, see, again, your enemy is wanting you just ever so subtly, he's wanting you to be, um, to be speaking these things um, out, out of your mouth because he's trying, to get, he's trying to get death coming out of your mouth because death and life turn on the power of your tongue, okay? Um, and so, but do you see how agreement is very powerful? What you say is very powerful, but when you combine those two together, something you agree with that you're now speaking out of your mouth, this is what we mean by interactive. They compound upon one another. Amen. Father, you're good to us. Um, thank you, Lord, for helping us uh, in, in every area and aspect of our lives. Father, you'll be everything to us that, that we need you to be and that we'll let you be, Father. And so, Lord, thank you for teaching us. Lord, we've covered uh, a lot of things tonight and some a little more uh, you know, strength to them than others. But I thank you, Father, that there's no offense uh, taken by folks in this room, by folks watching online. Um, Lord, if I said something that didn't quite sit well or seem right, I pray that they'll take it before you. And then, Father, if they have questions, they're welcome to follow up with me. Um, if maybe I misspoke or need to offer clarification. Um, but, Father, we're convinced from your word that you're a good God. Um, you could have so easily uh, judged us and been done with us a long time ago. Uh, but instead of doing that, you chose to show us mercy and send your beautiful, precious son to be our Savior. Um, so that we might be uh, brought back to newness of life with him and be made one with you, Father, forever. Thank you for those who are participating in this class, some from the very beginning, some, Father, joining us along the way. Um, Lord, I thank you for the plans and purposes that you have for each and every one of us. Father, you gave us purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began. Some of us, Father, have led a lot of years of our lives uh, pass by without ever really committing ourselves to, to finding and pursuing your highest and best for our lives. But Father, we're not going to regret over that or feel condemned over, over those years, but we're going to follow you now and trust you to, uh, as only you can, make up uh, to us the years that were, were lost and that were stolen. Father, thank you for the family members that are represented by those in this room. Thank you that you don't just call individuals, but you call families. And Lord, I thank you that what you're doing in our lives is affecting people who don't even know we're sitting here, Father. 
because that's just how good you are and how much you love us and how you work. Thank you for a wonderful time in our evening service here at Heritage. Thank you for the things that you're revealing to us to help us, Father. And Lord, um, as, as we uh, depart, um, we're not going to pray some silly prayer about asking you to go with us because we have your word that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Amen. And so we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. All right, you be blessed. Thank you for being here. Good things coming to you and yours. And if nobody's told you yet today, you are loved.